You are listening to Riverhouse Church's Sermon of the Week. We hope this talk equips and inspires you. All right, well, good evening, Riverhouse. How are we doing? It's, uh, it's good to be home. You have a good Thanksgiving. Who won the turkey bowl? Just raise your hand. Sheepish. All right. If I won it, I'd be wearing like a shirt, Riverhouse 2019 Turkey Bowl champ. Uh, anyways, uh, I actually have a couple little quick announcements too. The first is if you are a children's worker um, and you, you know, you're, you're obviously in service today, I just want you to stand up and I just want to honor you in front of the church. Children's workers. Yeah, stand up. You can be seated. Yeah, you can be seated, but I just want to thank each one of you, uh, especially, you know, now that we're here at the Vineyard with one service, when they go and serve our children, they're not coming to church on that night, and I just want to honor you for what you're doing, and we obviously have a whole crew that's in there right now currently, and they are investing in sowing seeds into the next generation, which is the future of this church and the future of Jesus' church in our country, and I just want to say thank you and honor you for what you give. It is not overlooked. I think about it on the regular, and I said, you know what, I just wanna honor you all in front of the church on Sunday, so thank you, thank you, thank you. I uh, really appreciate what you guys do, and uh, other than that, you guys ready to jump in? Um, I'm gonna have you stand up, I'm gonna read a, passion from, uh, a passage from Exodus 33. We do this just to acknowledge physically that there is more authority on the scriptures than anything that I will say tonight. We're here to hear from God, so this is uh, Exodus 33, verse 12 through 14. And this is Moses interceding on the mountain with God. It says, Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you yourself have not let me know whom you will send with me. Moreover, you've said, I've known you by name, and you've also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray you, if I've found favor in your sight, let me know your ways that I may know you so I may find favor in your sight and consider too that this nation is your people. And God said, my presence shall go with you and I will give you rest. It's the word of the Lord. Yeah, you can be seated. So I'm gonna transition into a, a new sermon series tonight. Who was blessed last week when Justin shared on tribe and family? Yeah, who's getting, their, uh, who's getting their living room in order? Not, not so big a cheer. What, is that, what does that mean? Uh, thank you, Justin. I told him I've still got 10 minutes left on the message, but what I've heard is amazing, and I talked to him before. So I know what the word was. I've heard amazing things, and I think God is doing a beautiful, beautiful uh, work in our church in this season. And uh, I'm, I'm going to... Uh, build on some things that I've been uh, presenting to you and feel that the Lord's presenting to us and then build and transition into uh, a series over the next probably four or five weeks that I minister uh, that will be going through the core values or the DNA of our church. And tonight is really to set that up and actually prepare you uh, to receive the seed that I believe God wants to deposit into our community over uh, this next uh, month or two. Does this sound okay? So uh, I've said this many times, but uh, crowds don't change the world, disciples do. And I, I, I like this type of language and terminology because uh, what we're very intentionally trying to do as we grow in size is actually to take our eyes off the growth in size, and we actually want to see what the Lord values, which is the quality of discipleship. 
right? God is actually wanting to, uh, to impart from generation to generation. Jesus came to actually uh, finish the work of his discipleship, and that was when he could go to the Father. And so uh, we don't want to be wowed, like we're not wooed by the size of River House. We're trying to gaze with eyes of faith to actually measure what God cares about, which is the quality of discipleship, meaning God has put grace on River House that is to be in, in, uh, saturated throughout all of us so that we are actually caring and walking in the anointing that he has deposited upon River House. That's why we are here. That's why we come on Sundays. We're trying to be a discipleship movement, and we do grow in size, but we need to grow in discipleship. Does this make sense? Right? Churches often fall sometimes into they measure and they celebrate size because it's easy to quantify that. Right, you actually have to see with faith. Like Jesus couldn't like look on the outside and see like three years in, and his disciples are still like trying to figure out who's the greatest, and even at the cross they reject him. Right, so discipleship doesn't always look as exciting on the outside, but if we can look with eyes of faith and begin to to look at what Jesus is looking for, we will actually recognize what true kingdom growth comes from. Right, and true kingdom growth does not come from the number of people that are sitting in these seats. It comes from the depth that Jesus is taking up influence in our lives, right? We've been talking about this. So the, for us to become a, a community of disciples, like I need your help. And when I say I or we, the staff, it's not all about the staff. It's not all about what happens on the stage. We need to together commit to becoming disciples. And so I want to kind of till the soil tonight to actually draw you into place of preparing your heart to say yes to the discipleship that Jesus is trying to exercise in this community, right? We're trying to submit to his leadership so that we can become learners, disciples. Are you following me? Yes. So over the, the, the next four weeks, really, I'm gonna preach four messages and it's on the DNA of our church. And I believe it's gonna be transformative and I think it's gonna, even for those that have been around, it's gonna further articulate and really draw you in to the heart of the grace. I, I, I'm trying to bring you to the very access point of what God's grace is that he has placed upon Riverhouse. I want you to come in contact with that so you can actually get germinated by holy seed. Right, But to do this, I need to prepare the ground, and I need to tell you that the messages on Sunday will never be enough for you to truly saturate yourself and be, be discipled fully with the grace that God is releasing here, because it's not just Sundays, right? And Justin preached a great message last night, but I just want to break this down really practically to you. I've, I've done a little math, and basically what we are doing, how we feel Jesus is leading in Riverhouse Church is that he's actually asking for, for your commitment to the time of Riverhouse, about four to five percent of your time each month. And what that looks like is we ask you for 10 spaces a month. And we've said this explicitly, but I've never said this all together. Right? We would ask that you come to church on Sundays, so four times a month. We'd ask that you be in a corporate prayer meeting four times a month, so once a week. And we'd ask that you be part of a, a revival group community which works, which meets twice a month, uh, every other week. And all of that comes to roughly 18 to 20 hours a month. And then if you were to add something you know, else, maybe there's a conference or whatever, we could maybe push it up to 24 hours. This is essentially what we've been asking for and how we've built with Jesus' leadership what Riverhouse is. The average American has 500 waking hours a month. And we're asking for 20 to 24. That's 4 to 5% of your time. 
and you will never get the fullness of the grace that's on Riverhouse unless you actually are engaged in those spaces because that is where God is releasing grace. Those are the, the, the spaces of the graces where it's getting disseminated. And some of you are sitting here going, well, I don't have grace to do that in this season. And I wanna tell you this, you will step into it and you'll step into the grace. Right? God doesn't say, hey, this is what the river's like, da, 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 once you, you know, you have to get, faith jumps in the river and that's how you discover what it's like. And it's no different with grace, right? God, God's grace and the discipleship, he's, he wants the commitment of your time and as you step in and come under his leadership, because if you're here at this church, that means you believe God has called you to this church and this is how Jesus is leading this church. 20 to 24 hours a week. I don't think that that is over the top, to be honest with any of you. And I know that you have busy lives. I have a busy life too. We all have busy lives. But busyness is never an excuse. What do you value? Right? Is he the pearl of great price or is he not? Right? So discipleship is costly. There was a story in uh, the Old Testament with Elisha, and he had this the series of interactions with the Shunammite woman, and she conceives a son uh, at, at his word, and years later, the boy dies. Are you familiar with the story? The prophet's on Mount Carmel, and, and uh, the woman starts coming, and he sends his messenger because he sees the woman. He says, what's wrong? She doesn't tell him. She finally gets before him and says, my son is dead. The son that the Lord promised me who came is now, he's dead. And Elijah gakes his staff, he gives it to his servant and he has to run like 26 miles. Who would like to be Elisha's servant? He goes, here, take my staff and run a marathon. Put the staff on the kid and the kid will come to life. What does he do? He runs the marathon, puts the staff and he doesn't get up. So he has to come back. They implore the prophet, say it didn't work. And so Elijah has to get up. He has to walk the 26 miles himself. He has to get on the boy face to face, hand to hand, torso to torso, foot to foot, life on life. And that is what brought the boy from the dead. This is the point. I believe that story is a prophetic picture of discipleship. Discipleship costs your time. Discipleship costs your time. It doesn't take place in a sermon. It doesn't take place through laying on hands in prayer. It takes place when you invest the time to be life on life, face to face, hand to hand, eye to eye. That is where the grace of God gets disseminated. That is where effective discipleship takes place. So it costs time, right? We just sang the song, you can have it all. You can have it all. Jesus wants your time. And he's called you to this church. And this is how he has led us to create this church. And so he wants you to commit yourself to say, yes, I will be in the spaces where you are telling me your grace will be. You have to exercise faith and step into it and you will receive the grace of heaven. Amen. I'm preaching. Come on. You just convicted or what? Right, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna preach, right, these next four, the, the, these, this message, this series on DNA, right? And, and, it's, and it's, so it's not just gonna be on Sundays, but Sundays is gonna, it's gonna trigger things in you and it's gonna draw you to this source, right? And DNA, I like the picture of DNA because DNA is a small strand, it's a protein sequence, and it actually has the instructions to actually, with, from that little teeny microscopic strand of DNA, it creates you and me, right? It actually affects every single aspect of the body, 
right? So we talk about prayer family mission here all the time. That's what we do. We're gonna pull back to the core values in the DNA, which is that core strand that actually creates everything that we do and get you down to the source of what God's grace is because God has actually given grace that has a unique DNA that we would take on a distinct expression of his nature as part of our role in the corporate body of Christ. Right, so every church, right, it's distinct from every other church because God has deposited unique grace upon it, and that grace actually carries DNA, right? And this is biblical. Uh, this is 1 John chapter 3. I'm at chapter 4. Chapter 3, and it says this in verse 8 or sorry, verse 9. It says, No one who's born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him, and he can't sin because he's born of God. Uh, that word seed, right, you can't sin if you've been born of God, your, his seed abides in you. That word seed in the Greek is sperma. Right? So it's talking about there's sperma, divine sperma, that actually ha- takes place. You get something inside of you that creates you a new creation. You say, that's weird. Well, God created it. <laughs> I get an amen. Right? We know that what does sperma do in the biological sense? It carries, it carries the seed, right? And when we actually position ourselves to receive it, it has the DNA. It has instructions to actually uh, produce, and it takes on a nature and actually expresses an aspect of the nature of God, right? It's amazing that God's grace is that powerful in our lives. And so I want to communicate. I like the, the picture of DNA because I want to, I want to, I want to, Boil this down. We're going to condense this down to that that strand, the sequence of God's grace, of what aspect of his nature he's deposited upon Riverhouse Church and lay once again this foundation that will produce everything that we are. Does this make sense to you? Are you with me? So to articulate this, uh, I'm not going to give you principles, but I'm going to give you four paradoxes over the next four weeks. And there's a, a reason that I'm gonna use paradox and I'm gonna, we're gonna craft it in this way and that is because paradox accomplishes something far more powerful than principles do, right? Paradox is defined, it's this, it's two contradicting ideas that are contained within the same truth. So a paradox is two contradicting ideas contained within the same truth. Right? And we see that God loves paradox, right? Jesus used parables, which that para would be beyond. So it's a story that's beyond. It has meaning beyond just its face value, right? You think of, you know, stories like the prodigal son. We've still been pondering it for all these years, trying to glean new meaning, right? Because is it about the older brother or the prodigal son or the mercy of the father, right? There's just, it's, it, it opens you up. It's more than just face value, right? Your mind can't just easily define and understand it. You have to dig deeper to search for meaning. Does this make sense? Right? So God likes speaking in a way that we can't just easily define, compartmentalize, and then control, Right? That is what the human mind in our brokenness actually has a tendency to do. We take principles, we define them, compartmentalize them, then we can control them. And we unknowingly put God in boxes all the time. So God doesn't wanna just come here. That's why when we're gonna talk about DNA here, I'm not just gonna give you, hey, here's five core values we have. Because what happens is that principles are static. Right? God is joyful. Right? That'd be a great principle. Do you agree with me? 
Could any of you find some scriptures that would back up the joy of the Lord? Yes. Right? So we get principles, right? We could put that principle down. It's like it's an anchor. It's static. We could make another principle that would be, uh, let's say, the justice of God, that God is righteous. God hates sin. Does anybody agree with those statements? Could you get me some scriptures that back that? Could you have me some personal experiences that back that? Right, yes, let's anchor another point in there, right? We could make another principle of God, that God is a healer, right? Amen, like, do you, you follow me, right? The, the scriptures reveal to us so many principles, aspects of who God is. But this is what humans often do. This is what the church has often done, right? Because we all have different aspects of God nature within us, meaning some of us are more merciful, just in our natural orientation. Some of us are more just. We are oriented towards right and wrong, the discernment between good and evil. Some of us are more naturally joyful. Some of us are more naturally peaceful, right? We actually will gravitate to these static positions of God's principles, and we create a camp around these principles, and we actually, we accept one aspect of God to the determinant of another, Right? And when we really break this out, we have all these theological camps throughout the church where people are camped around and they're shooting arrows at other Christians who've got it wrong when the reality is that we are all reading the same scripture. Right? This, is the, this is what I'm trying to get at. Truth is held in tension. And the principles of God, they have a purpose. They're to be static, but static things don't have, the, don't have transformative power. We need something dynamic if it's going to transform us. And DNA is dynamic, right? DNA, this one little sequencing quote, code, creates the whole human body. It creates my hair and my eye color and my hands and my, my, my dexterity and my athleticism. Everything about me is contained in the sequencing code, right? It is dynamic. And so God needs a dynamic tool to actually disciple us into relationship with him so that his grace is constantly catalyzing transformation and change in our lives, right? And so God created the tool of paradox, and God himself is a paradox to the human mind. And God uses paradox, which is when he takes one principle and then he ties it to another principle, that God is just and he hates sin, but God is merciful and tender and compassionate and forgiving. He has these principles, and then he ties himself, his nature, the, the truth of who he is is actually held in tension between these two things. And paradox is then designed. The navigating of the contradictions of these principles is designed to break your mind down it's because you cannot control God. You cannot understand God. You cannot define God. You cannot. He is bigger than any box, even the biggest box that we can create with our minds. He is bigger than and so he tries to disciple us into the tension of paradox because that tension can only be navigated through relationship with his voice. That's the only way. God wants to break the boxes that we put him in in our minds, even unknowingly, because those restrict the expression of his fullness in our lives. So his grace, right, it doesn't come to us. We see this with Jesus. It didn't come to us in principles. It came to us in parabox, to paradox, came to us in parables. So we're gonna, we're gonna lay the foundation of the DNA of this church, not in, in, in four great principles, but in four paradoxes that we have to continuously navigate through relationship with the voice of God. Are you following me here? Yes. 
right? And, and the most amazing aspect of paradox is that as we navigate the tension, that is where we learn wisdom. It's where we learn wisdom. Right? Wisdom is higher than knowledge. Principles are actually formed by knowledge, and principles do not think that I'm, I'm casting them out. The reason we need to be a people of scripture is so that we know which principles we should anchor ourselves to. Right? The, God reveals his nature. He reveals the principles of who he is throughout the scriptures. He, he has boundaries of who he is and who he is not. Right? He is not just this universalistic blob. No, he is, he is a distinct being. His name is Yahweh. He describes us who he is. He is massive, but he is something, and he is not other things. God is love, but in him is no darkness at all. Right? God has an identity within himself. And so we need to know the principles because the principles are what actually establish the boundaries of who he is and who he is not. Because I want to spend my life in all eternity exploring relationship with who he is. And we're joking ourselves if we think we're gonna be able to navigate the tension of paradox if we're not a people rooted in the scripture so that we know the principles of who he is in the first place. Right, so principles I'm not throwing out, they are so, so necessary, but they are not what disciple us, right? They're, they're and, and, and actually transform us. They're what root and ground us. They're static anchor points of who God is so that we can attach ourselves to, right? So that we can learn wisdom because wisdom is higher than knowledge, right? The knowledge of the scripture builds a principle, but wisdom is dynamic and it's active. Wisdom is the processing system of God. You begin to think like, God thinks. You begin to perceive like he perceives. You begin in any relationship, any interaction that you have in your life, you, you have these principles of who he is and you're able to navigate through the tensions of them to find where God is at any given moment. Right now, that sounds kind of crazy and ethereal, but I want to bring this home for you. Right, so I am Jordan Werner. Right, I could give you a list of, you know, maybe uh, five or six political beliefs I have. I won't give them to you because that would create more damage than good, right? But I, I, could, I, could, I could give you some, some principles of who I am, right? I could tell you this is what I believe about homosexuality and I could have a great discourse and this is what I believe uh, about abortion and this is what I believe about, uh, you know, children starving and this is what I believe about children in slavery and this is what I believe about, uh, you know, marriage and this is, like, I could tell you all these principles, but you would be doing me a disservice as if just because you knew six principles about me, you could then use deductive reasoning to tell me what I would do in this situation in front of this person. Does this make sense? We do this with God all the time. We, we use deductive reasoning instead of relationship because we've already got God figured out in our box. And because he, he is this and because of this scripture and because of this scripture, I can deduct, I can deduce from these things that that's who God is. And that's what God would do in that situation. No, that is making God a robot. That's making God a machine, that, like a, that an engine, you just type in some data and it spits out an answer. How complex are you? How complex are you? Have you ever met someone that you felt compassion for that violates the beliefs you have and the way you live your life? How do you understand that? How do you explain that with your mind? You can't. You can't explain love. Love is not of this earth. Love is so much higher. And so the principles 
are to disciple us into what agape is. And agape cannot be controlled. And it cannot be understood. And it cannot be defined. And it cannot be contained. It can just be, it can just be experienced. And it's experienced through relationship with God. So God has designed our discipleship process to humble us continuously. Breaking the box so that we can simply behold him and know in any given situation, right? That's what wisdom does, right? Wisdom is I begin to process and think about situations the way that God does, right? People, like when I'm, when I'm preaching, I wish I could sometimes take people into my little, it's like my little art studio in my heart, but God will start showing me anchor point, anchor point. Here's where some people are. Here's where some people are, anchor point. Anchor point, here's two paradoxes that you need to navigate and here's people in three different positions and this is how you can navigate the whole thing, right? And, and I've spent a lot of time in the tension, the uncomfortable tension of trying to navigate, but I've seen, he starts processing with me. He shows me, it opens my eyes. God wants you to see and think like he does in every situation of your life. Right? He is brilliant. Right, but God does not want to disciple you into knowledge. He wants to disciple you into wisdom. Right, the queen of Sheba traveled hundreds of miles by caravan through Africa, through North Africa to get to Solomon because she heard of the way of the wisdom that he was operating in. There is something greater than Solomon here tonight. Jesus Christ, the righteous, the one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom. He lives inside of you. He's with us, right? He wants to fill us with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's Ephesians 1, verse 7. In book of Colossians, chapter 1, I believe, verse 6, verse 8, 9. It says that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. God wants you to know his will quite confidently, but it's the navigating of paradox that will teach you the wisdom to be able to do that. Right? It's relationship that unlocks paradox and relationship alone. No amount of study, no amount of uh, intellectual knowledge will give you what you need to unlock the paradox. God is a person, he is complex, he has a personality. He, he has thoughts about given situations. He has thoughts about things going on in the world. He has thoughts about things going on with your children. He has thoughts about things going on with your coworkers. He has thoughts about your finances. He has thoughts. He has thoughts about everything in your life. And he wants to navigate that space with you. And it's, it's successfully navigating paradox that it gets inside of you. All right, so I wanna give you a, a scriptural example of, of this actually taking place, that we can look at it together. We read a couple verses out of it, but in Exodus 33 with Moses. Uh, the context of what I read for you, uh, it was actually Moses. We give Solomon a lot of credit that he you know, had this great prayer and he asked God for wisdom, which he did. What we don't sometimes celebrate is that Moses did the same thing. In a very difficult situation, his prayer was, let me know your ways that I may know you that I may find favor in your sight. So I believe Moses should get precedent. He's asking God for wisdom in this prayer in the context of leading the people of Israel. And Israel had just had a big sin. 
right? They had just made the calf. And God comes to uh, Moses in verse 1 of 33, verse chapter 33, and he says, Depart, go up from here, you and the people who have brought me up, who I've brought up from the land of Egypt to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then in verse 3, he says, Go to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go in your midst because you're an obstinate people, and I might destroy you on the way. Justice. Right? So Moses encounters the justice of God. And it's a very scary moment for him. Could you imagine God telling you, you go, go to the fulfillment of the promise, but I'm not going with you, right? Israel is distraught. They strip themselves of their ornaments and their idol worship. Uh, but Moses uh, doesn't just, so he, there's a principle, right, where God is actually grieved because they just had adultery on him, right? And so God is actually processing with Moses his pain and his anger because underneath anger is always pain. Right? Sometimes we want to make, like, take God and make him emotionless. He's actually humbled himself to engage with us in an emotional way. Right? So God has this moment. He gets honest with Moses about justice, his justice heart that's hurt. And Moses continues to engage with him in relationship, which I think shows us something about how Moses' perception of God's anger. Right? We think of God's anger as this violent thing and da-da-da-da-da, that that's not God's anger. It says in Isaiah 55 that I was angry with you and so I hid my face from you for a moment. That was the anger of God. I hid my face from you for a moment because he was in so much pain. You know, and uh, Moses continues. It says that in verse seven, he used to take the tent, pitch it outside the camp a good distance from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. Everyone who sought the Lord would go to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. And it went that whenever Moses went into the tent, all the people would arise and stand at the entrance of his tent. And then the, 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 the cloud would descend in front of Moses. And then uh, verse 11 says, the Lord used to speak with Moses face to face just as a man speaks to his friend. All right, so Moses is still processing in relationship with God. Right? And the amazing thing is that Moses actually navigates, we're gonna see here in a minute, he navigates all the way from justice and he navigates the whole paradox into the mercy of God as well. And he's praying, let me know your ways. This is the one insight we get into what Moses is talking to God in those face-to-face -face meetings. I wanna know your ways so that I can know you. Right? And we see uh, that God responds. He says, I'll give you my presence, which is I'll give you my face. That's the word saying, I'll continue to commune with you, Moses. I'll give you what you're asking for. I'll give you face-to-face -face communion. And then Moses continues, he said, if your present doesn't go with us, you know, then, then what will make us distinct? And then he prays and says, God, show me your glory. And then God responds and he says, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim to you the name of the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. Do you see it? I'm not gonna be with this people, justice, to all of a sudden, through relationship, compassion. I'll be compassionate and merciful to who I'll be merciful. Right, so the point I'm trying to make here is that Moses did not live a principled relationship with God. He didn't just resort to this is the principle, God's just and he doesn't like sinners. And when you, when you burn an idol, it's wrong. Right? Or and he didn't resort to like, oh, God just forgives you immediately, no big deal. 
No, Moses knew God in a relational way. And so he actually engaged with God through a very difficult, painful circumstance for both Moses, I'm sure, for all of Israel as they were ashamed of their ways, through God who's saying, I just led you through the, through the split sea and you turn your back on me. It's a painful, hard dynamic, but Moses, because he knew how to be relational with God, led, and, he, and it was both the justice of God and the mercy of God and the presence of God and the people of God went forward. Right? God is looking for people like Moses that actually can go beyond Moses because in, in 2 Corinthians 3, Paul tells us that Moses had a lesser covenant with a lesser relational capacity. We have been given the fullness of Christ. We've been actually given access to a, a realm of relationship that is beyond what Moses, that we can abide. Like we don't have to go to the tent of meeting. We've become a tent of meeting. But God needs people that can relate to, G, to him face to face, face to face, so that we can navigate these paradoxes of life in a way that moves us forward in a healthy, honest, true representation of who God is. It's only through navigating the tension of paradox that we can do such a thing. I've come to believe this, that the key to discipleship is actually the transference of wisdom from fathers and sons to mothers, to fathers and mothers, to sons and daughters. That is, that is, that, that is what must be transferred. It's the wisdom of God. We must teach how to process according to God's processing system so that they can step in and be equipped to lead in relationship with God, not in relationship to the principles. We've seen it all throughout church history. What happens two, three generations in? Things start drying up, why? Because they build a box around the principle of God that was on display, but they don't know how to relate and navigate the tension to get connected to God himself. What is the most successful transference outside of Jesus and his disciples? It's Moses and Joshua. Joshua was equipped through Moses' discipleship to lead a million people through a very, very difficult transition. It was not like the ideal transition, you know what I mean? I talked to a pastor one time, he was like, yeah, the way that I got transitioned into senior pastor was the senior pastor got on stage and said, I'm not doing well, I'm stepping down, and this is the next senior pastor. Didn't even know it was coming. <laughs> so, that, you know, that's kind of like the most, you know, there, there's ideal transitions and there's not ideal transitions. You know what I mean? All right, so Joshua gets kind of thrust into a very difficult situation, but he was able to lead. And I believe right here, verse 11, right? So the, the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses returned to the camp, his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man would not depart from the tent. Joshua was watching Moses process with God and navigate the tension. And Joshua learned the same thing so that when he got into the tension, he could navigate him himself. We must become a people of wisdom and we must transfer that to the ones that are following us. There are Joshuas in this room. There are a lot of Joshuas across the hall and we must become a people of wisdom so that that can be imparted generation to generation because I know the day's coming for River House Church. Right? When, when, I, when I hand off the reins to whoever it is when that day comes, it's not gonna be, hey, 
here's everything I did, don't screw it up. Right? It's gonna be, you are now equipped and you must deconstruct everything Riverhouse is and it must change and take on a new form and you are equipped to navigate the tensions of what that will be as the church evolves to the new generation and the new people and the new thing that God is doing in the earth. Wisdom, we, we need wisdom. We need more wisdom. I'm convinced we need more wisdom. So what does that have to do with DNA? The next four, four, you know, roughly four, it'll be through January, but four messages, four paradox, but it's one DNA strand that I believe God is trying to infuse into this church so that, right, it's, it's not the principles that I'm gonna, like, those words are important. Those are gonna communicate things, but I'm wanting to disciple you into the tension that these principles create so that we together can actually learn, embody them both individually in a family, as, as individual families, as revival groups, as a church. We can navigate this because it's in, it's in the tension of the paradox of, that I'm gonna present to you. That is the grace of God in this church. That is what he's trying to disciple us into. It is relationship. Everything God does is relational. And so it's not principle-based, it's relational-based. So four weeks, four paradox, but it's one strand of DNA. And I uh, believe Jesus is asking you uh, to commit your time to this house. Uh, if you want this, uh, th this grace has the power to change your life. The grace that's on this church Right, everything that you're experiencing, oh, we, we, we say it, we, we almost, sometimes we observe it, right? The reason you're here is because God's touched you in some way. He doesn't just wanna touch you. He doesn't wanna just take a staff and lay it on you and say, hey, now go be blessed and inspired because this message was awesome and invoking, right? No, he wants you to embody this so that you become a representation and you carry this grace and you reproduce it everywhere you go because you are compelled and possessed by the Spirit of God because the grace that he's given, it's not just for me to preach really good. It's for you to live your life in a whole new way and embody what it looks like to be a new creation, walking and representing the nature of God. It is not about building a crowd on Sundays. We have to become disciples. And so Jesus needs your time, and I'm asking for your time. I believe if you'll give your time, if you will commit, right, if you commit to say, I'm gonna be here week after week after week. No, that's not religious. That is part of excellence. No professional athlete that becomes and rises to the top is because they did things when they felt like it. No, they sacrificed for it. They give when they don't feel like it because that is what excellence looks like. So let's throw off this whole religious thing or if I feel like going to church or if I feel like I have time to invest in community and fellowship or if I feel like praying and make a commitment to be excellent and say, God, disciple me. If you've called me to this church, give me everything. Right, we sang it, you can have it all. You can have it all. Jordan didn't know what I was preaching on this week. I said, yeah, that's exactly what Jesus is doing tonight. He's asking not for 99. He's not asking for a convenient 95. He's not asking for 90. He's not asking for 75. He wants your time. If you'll give him your time and you will invest your time to the church, God's grace will do an exceedingly and abundantly great work and it will be more than worth your time. I promise you, it will be more than worth your time. So I believe just tonight, this is what I wanna invite some of you to. It's, uh, I believe God wants us to just ask for wisdom. Uh, I'm gonna have Jordan, you can come play, Jordan. And 
uh, there's a few different things. One is just if you felt stuck or overwhelmed. And the sense I got is that, you know how we get into ruts of life, relational ruts, financial ruts. Um, but, you know, if you're just in, you're in patterns of disconnection with the people that you love, uh, with your own spouse, with your own kids, if you're in patterns of exhaustion, uh, if you're in patterns where you just, you know, feel behind in certain ways, uh, you know, you just can't seem to shake the pattern uh, that to, to ask for wisdom tonight. And then just also just, just in general, if you say, I'm in need of wisdom, I desire wisdom to fill me tonight. I had a couple verses uh, in, in Proverbs 7 verse 4. It says, say to wisdom, uh, my sister, and to understanding, you're my intimate friend. And I just want to invite you, uh, and, and then second is uh, in the book of James, uh, chapter one. It says, but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to you. Right, so I just wanna invite you to ask. Uh, we are on a journey, and I know even some of you might be sitting there going, you ask me, you know, uh, revival groups or prayer times, right? Like, yeah, we, we are growing and we're actively growing, but we are inviting you. We want you to put more demand on us and that we will continue to create spaces to allow and enable discipleship to take place. And so, uh, but if you want wisdom tonight that I believe is the key, it's, the, it's what's gonna allow you to process all these things. I believe there's a breakthrough for some of you tonight and I'm just gonna ask you to you can just come forward. Uh, prayer team, if you can... You can either come up here and stand or you can pray with people as you come forward. But if, if you just want to come, uh, we can put the lights down a little bit. I just believe God wants to bestow wisdom on some of you tonight and that there's breakthrough. He wants to get you out of the ruts, out of any rut that's producing mediocrity, out of any those places where you felt stuck. You may be convicted tonight. I have had God in a box. Just, I just God just wants to just liberate you from, you know, he's not just a set of principles. He's a person. He's a person. And the reason we come forward is because we humble ourselves and it's the humble who find grace. It's not about exposing. It's not about, it's not about, it's no shame game. This is a beautiful moment. But I just wanna invite you that if you're supposed to come, if there's conviction in your heart, come and just receive and then just tell, just cry out and just say to wisdom, you're my sister, understanding my intimate friend and I ask you, Father, that you will fill me with wisdom tonight. Just fill me with wisdom and invite God to say, just say, God, come and just, just break any box. God, break any, any argument or stronghold in my mind that actually causes me to resist your purposes. And just let him love you in this place. If anybody comes to him and asks for wisdom, it will be given. God desires you to know him. You can pray that prayer of Moses. God, let me know your ways that I might know you, that I can find favor in your sight. God, I thank you that tonight you're convicting many that they're gonna step into grace that they've actually been resisting because of arguments that have de-incentivized what you're inviting them into. God, I thank you that when wisdom comes and it colors our mind, we see that everything you invite us into is a gift. 
God, but we only see that by faith. I just ask, God, that you'll just release faith and new wisdom, God, perspective of wisdom to see where you are inviting us into, God, that we can actually create new patterns of, of meeting you and actually receiving grace, God, through this church. God, you have created this church with one purpose, and it is to raise up Christ-like disciples. Lord, I thank you that you're just removing any arguments right now, God, that are resisting that, God, and you are just filling your church with wisdom, God. We want the fullness of your wisdom because we want the fullness of your grace to flow through us as your people, God. So we just receive it right now in Jesus' name, God. We are letting go of any religious box, God, knowingly or unknowingly that we have kept you in. We want you to break free so that you can be our, yourself and you can, you can draw us into a dynamic place of relationship, God, out on the tension of the paradox you're drawing us into, God. So we thank you for what you're doing tonight, God. And we just say yes and amen in Jesus' mighty name. Thanks for listening to the Riverhouse Podcast. For more information, visit riverhouseministries.com.